That's our text this morning. Uh, so if you didn't turn to Acts 16, I would ask you to do it now. Uh, Acts 16. We're going to look at Lydia as we wrap up our Women of Faith series with our sixth, uh, sixth sermon here in the series. I want to ask the Lord to use his word to quickly encourage us. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this story that we're looking at today, Lord, this this slice of history, this really happened. This, these are real people. And, and Lydia is certainly a, a person of significant influence, Lord, in the church. And someone who you had set your sights on to call to yourself. And Lord, to be glorified in and through her life. So as we consider her story, Lord, again, I, as we pray often through this series, help us to see our ourselves in the story and, and ultimately, Lord, to know that this is about you. This is about you and your glory. This is about seeing you as the big and awesome and wonderful God that you are. And just to know you uh, as you know us, to, to love you as you love us, and to worship you, Lord, as you are worthy. So thank you for our gathered time here. Thank you for your spirit who points us to truth. And Lord, I pray that he would speak now through the word, through my words, and into our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Christianity is certainly a global religion, a global phenomenon. It's, it's always been intended that way. God's plan was to save the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And we can see throughout history how the gospel has spread to all the corners of the world, and, and in different periods of time, uh, we see different parts of the world being maybe more, uh, the work of God being more prevalent or, or, uh, or more influential. Uh, we look back over the last uh, 100 years, 200 years or so, we might say North America has been a, a big active hub of, of gospel movement, of Christian movement in the world. Uh, I'd say right now, we could probably look more to Asia and Latin America and see God doing a significant work. Um, but if we were to look at the whole of, of the church age, uh, from Jesus' death and resurrection up until today, I think it would be hard-pressed to find a part of the world or a period of time uh, that was more significant and influential to the spread of Christianity and the influence of Christianity than the continent of Europe. Europe has been probably more than any other place, a central uh, focus, if you will, of, of the Christian uh, faith and movement throughout the centuries. Uh, I say that recognizing that there's a bit of a limited perspective there. Uh, but historically, I think we can make that case pretty strongly. If you think about this, the influential churches, the influential theologians or pastors or movements uh, that have come out of Europe, uh, they're they're big, right? I mean, we can go back to, to things like Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin. We can look at even to our own day and see uh, influences like C.S. Lewis. Europe's been significant, right? Uh, so for all the significance of Europe, all of the, uh, the, the well-known churches, well-known theologians, well-known pastors and people, uh, you might be surprised to learn that, and I'll, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that the most important church in Europe 
is a church that you probably haven't really heard of. And it started in the home of the woman of faith that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to study Lydia's story. And Lydia's story is significant for lots of reasons that we'll point out, but, but one of the most significant is that her home, her house, became the first global church in Europe. And everything that's happened since in Europe can be traced back to what happened here, okay? which is cool. So as we look at Lydia's story, let's, uh, let's consider uh, there's something big that's about to happen here, even though it seems maybe a little bit small at this point. And the significance of Lydia's story, it really isn't so much about her. Right? The significance of her story is really about the glory of God. And I'm sure that Lydia would be okay with me saying that. Uh, because I know that that's what Lydia's life is all about. So uh, what I want to do this morning is, is really highlight the significance of, of the glory of God in three ways that we'll find as we unpack Acts 16 uh, verses 11 through 15. And, and, and I, I want to say that these three things are basically this. They are, they are amazing, supernatural, only God could do that kind of moments. Okay, so that's our movement this morning. It's just to look at three, only God could do that moments in the story of Lydia's life. So the first one is this. The first one is this. It is the moment a door closed and another one opened. Okay? The moment a door closed and another one opened. And this is really how Lydia heard the gospel. A felice is read to us, Acts 16, 11 through 14. I want to read back a little bit further. Let's go back to Acts 16 and start in verse 1. I just want you to kind of see the whole picture of what's going on here. So Acts 16, verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So what's happening here is that Paul has been already sent out by the church in Antioch for a, a missionary journey. He's come back, and now he's going again. This is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, uh, which for me is good news because for the last... Six weeks I've been standing up here preaching on a sermon series with these graphics behind me that have meant nothing to our Sunday sermon series until today. Now they do, right? We are on the road with Paul, just like day camp this morning, because we're in his second missionary journey. And on that journey, he, he, he gets Timothy, and he calls Timothy to be a partner in, in this ministry. Uh, we're told that here. And they're going out and they're talking to the churches about what is happening in Jerusalem, where the apostles have all together determined that, yes, indeed, the Gentiles are as much a part of God's plan of salvation as the Jews. Go out and preach the gospel to them. And don't put any restrictions on them. So this is, this is the message that, that they're taking out on this journey. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, 
But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go out into Macedonia. Luke speaking now as part of the team. We, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And then we get to verse 11, and Felice just read that. It's the story of them coming into Philippi and going down and, and ultimately meeting Lydia and seeing Lydia come to faith in the preaching of the gospel. Uh, what's significant about this is, again, we're talking about something that only God can do. I read all that to, to highlight this, that Paul's going on this missionary journey. His intent was to go into Asia. His intent was to head north and east, and he tries to do that. And as he gets there, they were told here that for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow it. It's like the door was shut. We're not given any more information about that, but it's, it was very clear to Paul this wasn't happening. Doors just began to close, and so he comes up with a plan B, and he heads over to plan B, and it happens again. The Holy Spirit shuts the door. And at that point, I'm sure Paul's kind of frustrated, thinking, what, what am I supposed to be doing? And the Spirit answers that by giving him this vision. And the vision, again, was the Macedonian man. Come over here. Come preach the gospel to us. And Macedonia was the gateway, then, into Europe. Okay? It's in Greece, modern Greece, which is now on the European continent. So Paul gets this vision to go there. He wasn't planning on going there, but the Spirit's directing him to go there. And he goes to the city of Philippi. And Philippi was a significant city. It was, we're told here in the text here that it was, it was a trade city with a Roman colony. So in, within Macedonia, you have this city and Philippi that was a, a colony of Romania that it, it had all of the, the privileges and rights of a Roman city. It was under Roman rule and law. Even though the surrounding regions would have had their own laws, Philippi would have not been subject to those. Macedonian laws, they were subject to Roman law and Roman rule, and therefore there was a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of influence in that city. It was a global city. It was a trade route. It was, it was right within crossroads. And so you've got this, this significant spot where if you saw something happen, if a movement were to begin there, it could really easily spread. And particularly it could spread into Europe because it's a part of the Roman systems. Rome is European. It could go that way. In a herd. And so Paul gets into this city of, of significance. And what Paul would normally do when he entered into a new city is he would go to the synagogue. Because he would know that if he's going to preach the gospel, why not start with people who have some foundation, who understand who the God of the Bible is, and begin there. Uh, but in Philippi, we're told that there was no synagogue. Why was there no synagogue? Well, probably because there was just so few Jewish people in that region. So in order to form a synagogue, you had to have what was called a minion. And a minion is a, is a group of ten men, had to be men, who were Jewish and sort of formed a quorum. And if you had the quorum of ten, you could start a, a, a synagogue. And why is that? I have no idea. It's, it's not God's law or God's rule that it was that way. It's probably Jewish tradition. And we think it goes back to you know, the days of, of uh, Abraham, if I, God, if I can find ten men in the city who are righteous, will you spare the city? That's what we think, but we don't know. Anyway, that wasn't the case. There was no synagogue, so there was probably fewer than ten 
Jewish men in Philippi. Uh, however, you didn't have to have any kind of quorum for women to gather together. Men couldn't even gather together, by the way. It wasn't just you couldn't have a synagogue. They weren't allowed to gather together and do the readings of the word of prayer. Just, without a meeting, you couldn't do it. But women, uh, they just wouldn't have, have a synagogue to gather in. So oftentimes they'd go to some other location, and for whatever reason, we're, we, we hear that Paul knows that it's probably going to be by the river if there's this group of women. So they go down there, and sure enough, there they are. They're praying, and uh, Paul goes up and begins to preach the gospel, and we meet now Lydia. Now what's significant about Lydia here is that we're told here that she was a worshiper of Yahweh, but she was a Gentile. She was not a Jewish woman. She had an interest in their God, and she came down, and she met, and she prayed with these other women here, but she was not really one of them. She was not Jewish. In fact, she was from, get this, the place that Paul had tried to get into in Asia, but couldn't get. So Paul's trying to go over where she's from, and a door's closed, and God sends him over here into Philippi, and who does he meet? A woman there who doesn't really belong there. She's from where he tried to go, but she's there. Because she's a businesswoman. She's a seller of purple, which is a very expensive luxury item. It was a dye that came from a particular mollusk in her city. And it was, it was super rare and super expensive. And she's probably a fairly wealthy businesswoman who's over here doing her thing in this global city of Philadelphia. And God works it all out. Well, they just happen to connect. And Paul begins to preach the gospel that she believes. Now, here's the, here's the interesting irony of it. I, I already alluded to it. Just let me state this clearly. Get the irony. Though Paul saw a Macedonian man in his vision, an Asian woman becomes the first convert on record in Europe. Crazy. <laughs> and I would say this. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. What a crazy, wiggly, squirrely little line to get to somebody over here when you were trying to find him on their front doorstep. Only God could do that. So that's the first thing. The moment his door closed, another opening. This is how she heard the gospel. The second only God could do that moment is this. It's the moment a heart opened to believe the gospel. And this is how Lydia was regenerated. Again, Acts chapter uh, 16. Look down again at verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And we're told in the next verse that then she got baptized. She believed. The Lord opened her heart to hear what was said by Paul. This is one of the verses that Reformed Calvinists like me love to point to when talking about what the Bible teaches about God's sovereign election in salvation. How, how did Lydia come to faith in Jesus? It's, it's the same way any of us do. God opened her heart to believe. God opened her heart to believe. And this conversion here is a very clear illustration of what Jesus taught us about God's grace in election. In John 6, Verse 44, he said this to his disciples, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. If God sends them to me, if God draws them to me, 
There's this, this there's secure. God did the work. I will raise him up on the last day. And a few verses later, in verse 65, he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Lydia's heart is open by the drawing of God. Now, I think it's important to highlight that because some people struggle with that truth, supposing that it means that God somehow forces you to believe. Uh, or that, on the other side of that coin, that he forces you not to. And that's not the case at all. It just means that sinful hearts are guarding dead. That in our sin, we are, we are truly dead in our trespasses, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, and dead people don't do anything. Dead people don't respond. They're dead, right? They have to be regenerated. And so this is the picture that we have here. We would not come to God on our own. Faith is a gift. And here's this moment where for Lydia, faith is, is granted to her. We get this picture that she was a, a worshiper of God. She was definitely seeking after the things of God, but she wasn't regenerating yet. And what, what's the difference, right? Well, I mean, I can say the same thing in my own life. My, my family, uh, we were believers in God. We were non-practicing Catholics. In other words, my parents grew up Catholic and they baptized me as a baby in Catholic, but we never practiced it. We didn't go to church. We didn't, I, I didn't go through any confirmation or anything like that. We just were essentially non-religious people, but we believed in God. And we believed in Jesus as the Son of God. I just didn't really know what that meant. I was a worshiper of God in that sense. But it wasn't until I was in junior high school when I heard the gospel that God opened my eyes to understand and believe and come to faith. But I think that's true with Lydia. If there's that moment where God, no matter what we know, and we can look back at all the things that we know, and we can believe that in the sovereignty of God, He was working all that out and leading us and directing our lives and, 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 and planting all those seeds. But there's this moment where He goes, and He breathes life. Just like He did with Adam. The breath of life. That's saving grace, right? And I'll explain why it's important to understand that truth. I'll give you three reasons. The first one is this. It speaks to the love of God towards us. It speaks to the love of God. And I say that because in Romans 5, 8, it says this. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we're still dead, while we're still completely dark and separated from him, right? In that state, his love is demonstrated in that in that moment Christ died. And that condition that God loves us. We love him because he first loved us, right? Second reason that's important is that it keeps us humble. And Ephesians 2 says that. Paul says, therefore, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. It's not something that you accomplish so that no one may boast. In other words, God gets the glory in our salvation. And it shouldn't be that way because he did all the work. You just responded to what he did. And it's, it's, it's good that way because if, if you could boast, you'd have a claim over God. We don't. And we shouldn't. And we can't. And if you really understand the nature of God and the nature of your own heart, you don't want a claim over God. No one should boast. It speaks of his love towards us. It keeps us humble and and lastly, it therefore sparks gratitude, which leads to devotion. And we talked about that whole issue with Mary Magdalene's story, right? What, what is devotion? Where does it come from? It, it's sparked by the gratitude of knowing that I was 
Dad, I couldn't do anything. I, I didn't deserve anything. And yet this God who loves me and pursues me and breathes life into me made me alive. Wow, thank you, right? And, and that drives my gratitude. I, where would I be apart from the grace of God? Lydia, again, was a worshiper of God. She was seeking him, but her worship was not incomplete. It wasn't invalid, per se, but it was incomplete. Her seeking was evidence of, of God's work to draw her, but it was this moment where God completed the work that he had in God. She comes to faith. He opens her heart to believe in Jesus Christ. You know why that gives me comfort, by the way, like, when I consider God's sovereign grace and our salvation? It tells me this, I should and I can't pray for people that I know and love and want to see come to faith in Jesus. Right? Because if God, if God opens their heart and that's his power for all to do, they're going to come to faith. They're going to be saved out of, out of hell and destruction and no life and, and Jesus and freedom. And, and I can pray and God can accomplish that. That's what gives me a lot of comfort about that. God opens the heart and when he does this grace is irresistible. We can say this, only God can do that. So we have these two moments, right? How a door closed and another one opened and then how her heart was open to believe. Only God can do those things. And in this third moment, this third moment of only God can do that, it's the moment when an act of hospitality sparked a church movement that changed history. When an act of hospitality sparked a church movement that changed history, and, and this is how Lydia's home catapulted Christianity throughout the world. Alright, verse 15. After she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now let me let me just highlight a few things about what just happened here, and then we'll talk about what happens next. But we see that again, because God opens her heart to believe, she responds to the gospel. She believes in Christ, and then we're told that not only is she baptized, but her whole household is baptized as well. Uh, what what is what do we read into that? Well, we can read a couple things into that. One, God didn't just save her, he saved all the people around her. Uh, what was her household? Not sure. Uh, based on her occupation, based on what she was selling and the likelihood that she had wealth, she has a, a home big enough to receive these folks. She, she, she maybe was married. Maybe she had children. Maybe that was her household. Uh, she likely had employees or servants that worked alongside her, and they were included in her household. But whatever her household was, they all came to faith. God used the testimony of Paul to... Bring her to faith, and I don't know if God used her testimony to bring them to faith, or Paul, I don't know, we're not told, but her whole household gets saved, and essentially a little church is now formed in Philippi. There is a gathering of believers in this city. And what I want to say about that is this, in terms of just an application. When God saves you, He doesn't just save your soul. He saves your stuff. Okay? He redeems your stuff. And let me explain what I mean by that. I mean that when God saves you and redeems you, He's calling you as He's gifted you. 
He's calling you, I see, has placed you, where he has placed you. And he's, he's not just redeeming your soul internally, but your life. Which includes your stuff and your influence and your vocation. And, and, and by God's grace, perhaps your family members, right? But, but it's, he's certainly calling all of you to all of him. And so we see that in Lydia's life. It's not just her soul, but her house and her, and her household that are going to be used and redeemed by God. For his glory. It doesn't just mean you sold your stuff. And this again becomes the first church not only in Philippi, but therefore then the first church in Europe. And we know that the church was gathering in her home. If we look a little bit further down in chapter 16, in verse 40, it just simply says this that they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. So uh, a whole other story, don't worry about that. We'll get to that some other time. But they come back to Lydia's home. And when they had seen the brothers of the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. They saw the gathered brethren in Philippi in her home. And so when Paul begins to continue on and then write back to the church in Philippi, we have that as the book of Philippians, there's a good chance that he was sending that letter to her house. Because that's probably where the church was still gathered. It certainly could have been. Now, again, why is that significant? Because, again, for at least a millennium, Europe has been nearly equivalent to Christian culture. Nearly equivalent to Christian culture. And, and, and the influence extends beyond the church. Christian culture, the influence of Christianity in Europe, was a predominant force in Western civilization. It included philosophy, art, and science, right? Why did that all happen? Well, there's lots of reasons for that, but it wasn't very long before Christianity lands in Rome and takes root in Rome and becomes even the official religion of Rome and then the foundation for Western civilization in Europe. And, and, and everything that you see around you, our, our culture, is particularly in this country, using the tremendous European influence in this country, Western civilization, so much of that was influenced, starting by what happened in this house. Certainly the gospel has spread, and the church has grown so much because of the influence of what happened in this house. So Christianity's introduction in, and spread into Europe not only changed Europe, but it changed the world. And Lydia's story is such a big part of that. Alright, so that's there's Lydia's story. It's a cool story. And I, I want to give you a little bit of application as we as we uh, walk away from it this morning and, and, and say this. We can find a lot of application in Lydia's life and in Lydia's story here. Uh, we can certainly talk about hospitality. We can certainly talk about faithfulness, the things that resulted in her becoming a significant partner in European church planting and the spread of the gospel uh, throughout uh Paul's ministry into deeper parts of Europe. We can talk about all that, those things. We probably should talk about all those things. I hope I have to, at least enough of an extent that we see the importance of her life. Uh, but I want to focus, and I'm turning the application really back on that theme of only God can do that. Okay? Only God can do that. Uh, and I think we're going to find a lot of good application and tremendous encouragement there. 
So allow me to dig into that a little bit deeper. And to do that, I want to actually expand this application out to all six of the sermons that we've done in this series, uh, the women of the faith that we look at. First, I want to I want to do this. First point of application is just to recognize something notable about the lives of each of the women that we studied over the past six weeks. There's been a, a common thread in each of their lives. And, and, and with the exception of Lydia, uh, although I'll, I'll bring her into it, but, but without uh, looking at her first, let's look at the other five and say this. We can say with confidence all of them were marginalized people. All of them were marginalized people uh, with dark, difficult, and sometimes even shameful pasts. Rahab, remember, was a prostitute. Look at Ruth. Ruth was a pagan idol worshiper. Look at Hannah. She was despised and mercilessly mocked. Why was she despised and mocked? Because she was barren. Remember, she was taunted by her sister wife. The woman of the city, Annie talked about, was a known sinner. And Mary Magdalene was a demoniac. They were all marginalized. They all had a past. Difficult past, a dark past, sometimes a shameful past. And even Lydia, if we look at her, we don't see those dark things per se in her past. We're not told of that. But we know that she was a Gentile, meaning that she had no spiritual advantages in life. So from a human standpoint, we can look at all six of the women that we studied and say, none of them would be expecting to have a seat at the table of God's fellowship. From a human standpoint, None of them will be expected to have a seat there. And, and to be clear, by the way, we can say that about all, almost all of the men uh, in Scripture that we, we read their stories to, right? There's a, there's, a lot, there's a whole lot of nobodies, a whole lot of marginalized people with the past. And, and yet, God loved and pursued each and every one. He loved and pursued each and every one of them. He, he chose them to be the receptacles of his grace. And so here's my takeaway from that. Don't be afraid of your past. Don't be afraid of your past. God's grace is greatly displayed in weakness. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, this, their story and the unlikelihood of their story is your story, my story, pretty unlikely, right? 
We're a bunch of generally nobodies. A lot of us clearly marginalized nobodies that God has, by His grace, said, I'm going to pour out all that I am and all that I have to you to be acceptable for this. That's awesome. Don't be afraid of your past. I read something this week, and, and I, I, I tried to find it, and I couldn't, so I'm going to paraphrase it, but it said something like this. You can't be too weak to receive the grace of God. You can only be too strong. I think that's good, right? You can't be too weak to receive the grace of God. You can only be too strong. Many of us this morning are paralyzed by our weaknesses and wracked with guilt. I know that to be true. You're paralyzed by weakness, you're wracked with guilt and shame over your past, and you need to hear this this morning. Don't be afraid of your past. God transforms weakness into grace and beauty and power because he chooses the weakness of the world to display his strength. Don't be afraid. Only God can do that, right? Only God can do that. And this is the kind of God that we have. That's the first application. The second one is this. The body of Christ is made beautiful and effective by the contributions of everyone whom God saves and gifts for his glory. I'm going to repeat that. The, the body of Christ is made beautiful and effective by the contributions of everyone whom God saves and gifts for his glory. That's true in the church, and it's true in the world. It's equally true of men and women. It's just as it's true of people of every ethnicity and every culture that Jesus died to redeem. God uses everyone and gifts everyone for the purpose of displaying the mosaic beauty of his glory in the world through the diverse body of Christ. And we need to be reminded of that. It's important to be reminded of that so we will honor God-given diversity in the church. The body needs every member. It's why God's design, and it's beautiful. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. And the last thing is this. I hope that this series has fueled your affections for God just simply by reminding you that He's really awesome. Okay? I hope it's just fueled your affections by reminding you that He's truly awesome. His, His sovereign grace his unstoppable plans, his amazing love through Jesus Christ is truly a thing of awe. You just you read these stories and you just you go, this is so amazing how God works and how God saves and how God calls these folks and, and, and he just takes these lives that seem like they're so disconnected from him and, and from the grand story of, of what God's doing and, and he just weaves it all together and it's, it's part of the beauty of the gospel. Every one of these stories, you just got to sit back and say, God's awesome. He's amazing. But when you look at the lives of, of these women in particular that we've studied, these six, uh, there's a thread that runs through them. There's a thread. And that thread truly links them all to the grand story of the gospel. And, and I, I want you to hear that because I, I want it to be an encouragement to you this morning as a believer in Christ. Or maybe you're, you're one who's a, a maybe, maybe you're a worshiper of God and God's still drawing you to himself. But this, this, this is true and it will be realized as true in your life as well. That same thread runs through you. 
that thread that, that ran through each of these lives that, that connected them to the grand story of God's redemptive plan, his gospel story, that same thread runs through each of us who by faith have been reconciled to God and Jesus Christ. And that ought to be a tremendous encouragement. God is awesome. Not just because of what he's done through the world, but you can say, what he did in me, and he connected me to it, me! That's amazing and awesome. When you know that's true of you. Right? I don't know if, if you, uh, I, 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 I can attest that this experience has happened to me being the last person to cake for the kickball team. Okay? And what do you feel when, 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 when you're, when you're picked, and you're not picked last, you're wanted, you're desired, you're included, right? And you feel like, that's awesome. <laughs> it's good to feel that way. You should feel that way when you consider the thread of God that, that it's so gospel that runs through you, Christian. God chose you. And he's good and he's awesome. You should be praised for that. I, I want to remind you that that, uh, that key theme when we, we talked about Hannah. Remember I said it like this, I said God is always working to fulfill His sovereign, global, historical plans and promises and every one of His beloved people has a place in the story. That's true. If you're a Christian this morning or if you're just wondering if God is in the process of drawing to Himself, it's true about you, He's making a glorious, beautiful, receptacle of His grace out of you. And the wonder of his gospel power is being displayed in you. And I'll say it again, only God can be that. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Die he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How am I going to die for me? That's true. Father, thank you for your love. Again, I, I, I feel like I pray this every Sunday, but I just I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the stories of people in your word. Because it just reminds us that, Lord, you, you, you love and you care about the people. You, you make something of the lives of people who, who we all have a past, and that past was, was separated from you. Every one of us, until you stepped in and you did something about it, you opened our eyes and you called us to yourself again. You, you made us a receptacle of your grace, and you're, you're using us now as a display of your glory, and all of that is just so I just thank you for it. And I pray, Lord, that as we, we ponder that and we, we marvel at that, that you would draw out of us, Lord, the gratitude that leads to devotion, just that we would worship you. That you're worthy, God. And I know that, that, that that's not just about you somehow uh, uh, claiming from us something that's just all for you. It is all for you, but Lord, it's our highest good and our greatest joy to know you and to worship you like that. So it's good for us. It's good for us. And we want 
So Lord, bring it about in us. Help us to love and praise you to, to heighten our joy this week. And sustain it in us. Help us to see the red thread of the gospel, the blood of Christ that runs from the beginning to the end and is connected to us. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name.